verse 8. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. And it reads, Whosoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You may be seated. Good morning. Got a nice crowd this morning. We have some visiting with us. We're certainly glad you chose to come out and visit with us. And uh, for those of you that are our regular attendees, we're glad to see you here today, too. For those of you visiting with us, I'm not the pulpit minister. I'm one of the elders here, but I do preach and teach from time to time. Brother Jim Laws is a very capable and uh, wonderful pulpit preacher, and he is our guy. And he is in West Plain, Missouri today, holding a gospel meeting. I would ask if you would in your homes and in your private time, pray for that to be a success. I know that uh, I was with him Friday and we talked about it. He's going up there to preach the word of God. He said he had something to say. And I'm, uh, I've got something to say this morning as well. You know, as we teach and preach from the teacher standpoint, we always would hope that you would make application. And in making application that it may be that your life is changed in some way for the better. And we would hope that today. Well, we read from 1 John there, and I'd like to repeat it if I may. He who sins is from the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. That tells us something about the devil, doesn't it? For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, and we're going to talk about manifestation after a while, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The devil at the time of Christ, I want you to think about this, because it's not recorded in the Old Testament, at the time of, of Christ, apparently the devil could and did possess people against their will. Because there are many examples of it in the New Testament, and it seems that he pooled all his resources, all his minions at this time to battle with Christ in the flesh on this earth. There is a, um, a great showdown coming. And 1 John 3, 8 here records that that was his purpose. Christ was manifested in human form to accomplish this goal. Well, let me break that down even simpler. In other words, Christ left his spiritual home, heaven, and came to the earth, the home of Satan, which 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says he's the God of this world. Christ... And it seems that he, in Satan's mind, no doubt, that he became vulnerable in doing this. He left heaven in the presence of the Father to come to this earth whom he has dominion and power over. And he and his minions worked overtime. They possessed people against their will. And the, the scripture we read, Christ came in bodily form to battle Satan on his own turf here on this earth. To be victorious, what's at stake? Our salvation. Our eternal souls are at stake at this war that was going to go on. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke 4, verse 17 through 21, and I'll read there. This is Jesus entering his ministry at 30 years old. He goes in the synagogue. That was the age that you could read from the scripture there. And he goes in, and this is what he reads. We look in Luke 4, verse 17. He was handed the book. 
He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recover the re- and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So he read that prophetic statement from Isaiah of all the wonderful things that the Savior, the Messiah, would do. He'd give, blind, he'd give the blind man back his sight. We had that today in class. We looked at John 9, the blind man receiving his sight. What a miracle that was. How often have you felt oppressed? Well, he came to liberate you from that. And on and on as we read there, and he said it began, it is fulfilled in your hearing today. This would be his ministry, and that's what he would do. So this morning, we're going to look at one, one example of this demonic versus the Lord, this battle that plays out. And it's interesting to study. And let's look at it. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, we read about a man you've heard about many times. You know, we erroneously call him Legion. But that was not his name, was it? We don't know this man's name, but it wasn't Legion. But the demons that were within him, they were Legion because they were many. And we're going to study some things about this man. But understand, what power are we talking about? What's the purpose today? Jesus Christ, amongst many things, as we saw there in in Luke 4, quoting from Isaiah, many things Jesus came to do in the short time that he was here. But for the context of our study this morning, he came to defeat Satan on his home turf in the flesh. And Satan no doubt felt, think about this, he no doubt felt like that he would win. Because after all, he's won against all other flesh, hasn't he? Every man that's ever lived, every woman that's ever lived on this earth sinned eventually. And that became, you became a captive of his when you did. You had a sin problem from that point on. And here Christ is, God, but he's coming in the flesh, born of a woman going to live his life on earth and go through all the problems that we go through on earth. And I'm sure that Satan said, I'll get him. I'll get him. Because we see every effort goes in. And we're going to look at this story. I will, if you'll allow me, it is going to be uh, 20 verses. I'd like to read it. And it won't take but a moment. And then we'll go back kind of analyze some verses and what went on there. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran 
and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine were feeding there near the mountains. All the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And then, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and they drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus, saw the one who had been demon-possessed, and had the legion sitting and clothed. And in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might go with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion upon you. Well, there's the story of that man that had a legion of demons within him. And uh, let's look at some things about this man while we have the time. The uh, effect, of, this is the first thing that jumps out to me, the effect of the demon possession apparently gave him schizophrenia. It seemed, to, it seemed to split his personality. Notice the man ran and he fell at the feet of Jesus and it says he worshipped him. But who was it speaking? It was the demon speaking. The man did the running. The demon did the speaking. And keep that in mind, as he speaks, which is it? You know, have you seen that commercial? Is it live or is it Memorex? You know, they're advertising the Memorex. Which is it? Is it the man speaking or it is the demon speaking as we look at it? Uh, the, um, the man fell down to worship the demon in the speaking. What was said, kept paying very close attention to what was said. He said um, uh, it was uh, sarcasm is what it was. He said then in... Um, if you look at verse 7, he cries out in a loud voice. The man is the vessel by which this demon is speaking through. It's the demon speaking here, and he says, verse 7, What have I to do with you, Jesus? We're demons. You're the Son of God. We have nothing to do to you, nothing to do for you, nothing to do with you. What are you doing here? I implore you by God not to torment us, okay? What are you doing? What have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? So there it is. There is a, 
That's the deal. There is not a, this is not a compliment. You are the son of the most high God. He's acknowledging that that's who you are, and we're demons. We're on different poles. We're a different perspective, uh, different, uh, uh, we're 180 degrees away from each other. Polar opposites. Why are you here? They foreknew their, uh, their destruction. They knew that Jesus would be the author of that destruction. In Zechariah 13, 2, it says, It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. And I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. They knew it was coming. A fight is on their hands, a showdown between Satan and the Son of God. And this is the beginning of it. And so he is going to cast them out. Um, He says here in, what is it, verse 7? He implores him by God not to torment him. If you go to to Matthew 8 and verse 29, we see a parallel story of this, a synoptic story of this. And there he's the demon speaking to Christ says, Have you come to torment us before our time? denoting that they knew that there was a time that they would be subdued by the Son of God. And there's scripture that goes back to the garden. Genesis uh, 3.15, I will put enmity between you and between the seed of the woman. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Satan knows that there's a day coming. I'm going to tell you this morning that people know you wouldn't believe it, especially some of the nonsense that comes out of their mouth. And if we're not careful, we've espoused this stuff too. That there may not be a judge, but we may not really stand before a righteous God one day. But they know better. And you know better. Innately, we know that one day, like Job said, one day I know my Lord will come back. We're going to stand before him, and they do too. But what we can do if we, uh, if we can't stand the idea of changing and becoming children of God, what we can do is play the big pretend and act like it's not going to happen. Okay? That's what they're wanting to do. They're wanting to prolong this. They do not want to be tormented knowing that that day is coming. They want to prolong it. The Bible says in that uh, they're going to be like wanting mountains to cover up rather than the face, the wrath of God. But their wrath was foretold. It's coming, and this is it. We're going to get to see one side of it here where Jesus destroys this demon or uh, destroys the demons. Okay, in uh, verse 8, let's look at that. He says, this was something, as you read, I love how the Bible does. You're reading this story, and then you find out, but previously he had said this. And what we find out in verse 8, previously, he had told the demon to come out of this man. How many times does he tell him that? One time, come out of this man. They have some conversation here, but notice, that's what all the conversation's about. I don't want to go there, and I don't want to go here. Don't send us out of the country. Don't do this terrible thing. Don't torment us before our time. But what they didn't know, and sometimes we don't know, it was their time. The time has come. The knock is at the door, and it is their time, and they're going to deal with Jesus. And so they uh, they know their day's coming. They pray it's not today, 
But Jesus had previously, verse 8, told him to come out of the man. So come out, they would. Verse name, he's, verse 9, he says, what is your name? I don't know the full um, idea behind that, what, what it would matter, but I know more information is more power. Power is information, and we find out things. He said, what is your name? And he answered him by saying, my name is Legion, because we're many. Well, you get a little picture there, I think. This demon legion, obviously, was the arch demon within the man. He is speaking on behalf of the other demons. We see that he speaks always in a plural form. He is the, there are many, many. Now, in that day, I don't know that we should put too much metaphorically or significance on this. But a legion, is it varies depending on what nation, a Roman or Greek or whatever. But keep this in mind, legion at least means several thousand. You know, in human form, when we talk about a legion of soldiers, it usually meant three to five thousand men. And he represents many that are in this man. What that ought to do for us is tell us the plight of this poor wretch. I mean, just look at him where he's living, how he's living, and how he's tormented. And who's speaking to God here? Not him. The demons within him. And um, in Luke 8, also a synoptic of this story, also a parallel of this story. It's recorded there. Uh, or not, not this story, but in Luke 8, also recorded there was a woman who had had seven spirits uh, uh, driven from her. Her name was Mary Magdalene. And uh, it, so it seems to me that more was worse. You know, if you had more demons, the more demons you have in you, the worse it becomes. And that makes sense. This man had a legion of demons within him. So that the, man went, the demon went by the name Legion because we are many. And then we see in uh, verse 10, they earnestly want to stay there. Why? That's his purpose. They're in a Gentile part of the world. Uh, they're at a height of their power. Uh, this is when Christ is on the earth, manifested in human form. Satan is using his minions. All the powers he's pulling out, all the stops. And um, so we see that they want to stay there. They want to wreak the havoc, which they were sent to do. And I'll admit, and if you'll look at me, if you're looking at your text, I'll admit this, that verse 11, 12, and 13 is somewhat hard for me to understand because always keep this in mind. And Satan is not God. He's created also. So keep this in mind. God and God alone is omnipotent. He knows all. He sees all. He he knows everything. There's nothing known that God doesn't know. Okay? But apparently Satan's not that way. Because by having Christ crucified at the hands of evil men on that cross, Christ overcame the devil. He overcame the world. When he was resurrected, he broke the chains that the grave and the sting of death held for us. Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians 15. So had Satan known that, he wouldn't have done that, would he? Because it was his ruin, it was his end by doing so. And so here, they're wanting to stay. Verse 11, 12, and 13, they beg. And I, I think it's just as simple. It's a little hard for me to understand, but why would they beg to go and be in swine when their purpose is to uh, possess 
humanity to cause uh, as much confusion between man and God, separate as many people from man and God as they can. But they're running out of options. They're standing before the Son of God, much more power from him, and they fear him greatly. And so they ask that they might go into the swine. Now, the reason I say it's a little confusing on me is this. You know, and, and it's simply because we look at things in human terms only, just mankind. You know, somebody lost out on a lot of money, didn't they? You know, I'm sure there were many, many investors that uh, uh, Gentile people ate and cured and, and, and ate hogs, and these hogs are all destroyed because of this. But in the scheme of things, what does that matter in the fight over good and evil? Nothing. Nothing. It means nothing. 18-wheelers turn over all the time and kill thousands ahead of cattle and hogs and stuff like that. So don't get caught up in this. This is a spiritual battle of God and Satan. To, and the, and the uh, what's on the line? Your soul and mine. And so this is what's going on. They beg to go in this morning. And notice what it says in verse 13. At once, he said yes. So I think what they thought was a good idea. No, I think what they thought was a, a good idea to go into the swine. Jesus was like, is that where you want to go? Immediately he permitted it. So notice that, that he had to permit it, but they couldn't have gone anywhere. All that they knew for sure was they were coming out of the man because Jesus had said what in verse 8? He'd already commanded him to come out. So here they go in these swine, and then we see what happens. They run down a steep place, and there they're drowned. And so... Uh, I don't think they knew the outcome. I think Jesus did know that, and this would be the end of that legion and his minions. That would be the end of them possessing humanity anymore. Okay, when we get to uh, verse um, 14, no doubt the, uh, that caused quite a stir to have that many uh, animals and the livelihood lost. But in verse 15... Seemed to scare them more than the hogs. You know what seemed to scare them worse? Was this man who had cut himself and broke chains and been out of his mind, psychotic behavior. And where is he? He's sitting there with his face washed, he's clothed, and he's in right mind. That scared them more than the pigs because this man was a menace to society. And look where it, what he's doing. Have you ever known anybody that was, uh, you know, we had a forum a week or two ago, and Brother Don Hatch, older man, I just love him to have very, very, if you ever get a chance to go to a restaurant or something, say, hey, keep you in stitches the whole time. He's funny. He's witty. And he starts off, he'll say, I'll say, Don, how'd you start off? And he said, a heathen. That's how I started off. And, you know, and you kind of, you, you, it's kind of humorous, but in a way it's really not because he means it. You know, once upon a time. He was a man in the tombs and a man that cut himself, metaphorically. He was a man in sin. I bet some of you were too. You're looking at a man that came to himself in the hog pen. And when we can see what God can do, he can take you out of the hog pen. He can take you out of the tombs. He can take you from howling at the moon and put you in a proverbial suit and a and a sane mind, and you can be transformed. And you're the only one that will keep that from happening. You and Satan. But you can change. If you're not that person, you can. Be it with the turning of the knob. But you've got to want to do it. 
This man ran. This man fell at his feet. This man worshipped him. But this man never said a good word because it wasn't him speaking. It was the demon speaking. But what does it say about him when he ran and fell at Jesus' feet? Somewhere in there, and maybe you're that way too, somewhere deep within this man, he didn't want this for his life. He didn't want to be this way. He had been taken over. Can we be taken over today? The Bible says only if we let it. See, God, God came in the flesh, and he's destroyed the power that Satan could physically take you against your will. But spiritually, he can take us against our will too because God didn't take that away. Because if he took that away, then you couldn't freely choose him. Well, after all these things, 2,000 head of hogs in the ocean, this man who had howled at the moon, slept amongst the dead, cut himself with stones, broke chains and shackles. Here he is, bathed, clothed, sitting in his right mind. And they're afraid. And what did they say? Please, just please, just leave, just go. It was too much for them. What do most people say? There's a lot of worldly people. They listen to the gospel. They listen to the great plea. It makes sense to them. They know their life is a, is a running amok. But the more they listen, they finally just put their hands in their ears and say, just, would you just leave? Will you just go? Instead of changing, will you just go? They can't come to change. We resist change so much. And this change would put you back in your right mind. This man, we see, was able to do that. And it's so great. He begs to go, naturally so. You know, I've noticed something over the years with Nat. Nat, in, uh, uh, I don't know, 12, 14 years he's done it, and it's a wonderful thing. He takes our youth. Many of you are grown in here, and you did it when you were youth. He goes on these uh, gospel campaigns in the summer, and they baptize, and they teach, and they have vacation Bible school, and they do, uh, they do uh, gospel meetings while they're in. Great. I've been on many of them. Great thing. A lot of these deacons have gone with Great things happen. But did you know what normally happens every year? You'll get a 17, a 16, an 18-year-old boy, and they want to come home with them. They don't want to stay in that little podunk town that they're in. They want Because in their mind, I want to go back to the, to the, the temple of God, where y'all are from, the good things that go with you. And he has to tell them basically what this man is told. Stay in place. Stay here. This is where you want to be. Preach the good news. Tell the people here. How wonderful the Lord has been to you and the compassion that he's had on you. Stay in place. Preach in place. That's what he tells it. We get to Mark 8 and we see a Syrophoenician woman. Jesus is in that region. And this man has been preaching in the Coplis. He goes and does what Jesus tells him to do. And fruit comes from it. But yeah, you've noticed that, hadn't you, Nat, over the years? And I always feel so sorry that the little kid, the grass is going to be greener on that side and they want to come in. Of course they can't. But they have that they they've been shown compassion and mercy, and they want more of it, which is very understandable. And I understand why they do that. Well, erroneously, we try to think sometime, and I'm going to hasten for my time. But Acts 10, Cornelius, we get to thinking that he is the first interest in the Gentiles 
after the ministry of Christ, but not so, not so. Christ is very interested in this man. He's very interested in this region. It's a Gentile region. Why would Jesus go there? If he were like all the other Jews, he wouldn't be caught dead there. But, of course, we're talking about our Lord, aren't we? So he goes there, and he does great things. I mentioned the Syrophoenician woman in, uh, in Mark 8. You know, uh, he, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lesson in itself, but he, he kind of uses a Jewish term to see if that might put her off. He says, let the children be filled first and not the bread be given to their little dogs. That's an insinuation that the Gentiles were their little, the Jews' little dogs. You know what she said? Ha! I'm offended. How could you talk to me that way? No, I'm going to go get mad and go home. No. She was wise. She said, you know, even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall from the table. He liked that. And he granted her wish, and her daughter was healed at that very moment. Jesus has always had compassion. The Gentiles were always on God's mind. John 10, 16. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also must I bring in. And they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. That's you and me. We were brought into this wonderful kingdom, too, because of his great mercy and because of his great compassion. When we see the former state of this man, his behavior, his tyranny, his nakedness. Luke records he was naked. He has psychotic demeanor. Then we see him clothed and in his right mind, wanting to serve his Lord. Then we see the promise. And this promise is for you. Listen to me. James 4, 7 and 8. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nine to God and he'll draw nine to you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this man could not resist the devil? He took him over. He possessed him against his will. And Jesus came and destroyed Satan's power to physically possess our bodies. But he can possess our minds. But that's up to you. That's up to me if we let that happen. Because God has set you free if you want to be free. If you want to be liberated, you can be liberated. Draw nine to God and he'll draw nine to you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever resisted the devil? I have. I've given to him way too many times. But when I resist him, he has to go. You know what choice he has? None. And if you don't believe it, give it a whirl. Resist the devil. The thing that's tempting you, the thing that's causing you to constantly stumble, the next time it comes up, rather than say, oh, here we go again, why don't you resist the devil and see what choice he has? He flees. And if you've not drawn nigh unto God, do it. Do it today. Well, this man got to be free of the demon that possessed him. This is a wonderful story. This is a great story about this man. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark 3 quickly. In Mark chapter 3, verse 27. I'm going to read 27 through 29. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds that strong man and then plunders his house. Assuredly, I say unto you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal, to eternal condemnation. 
You know, in this context, I want you to understand this context. In this context, Jesus is driving out demons. Jesus is doing miracles. And you know what the religious elite say of that day? He's doing it by the power of Satan. By the power of Beelzebub, he's able to do these things. And Jesus straightens this out. He says, listen, me paraphrasing here. Satan is wise. He's cunning. And he's not divided. He's not divided at all. He's in pure unison with his minions and with his power. He is not conflicted at all. He said, now, he talks about a house divided. If I'm driving out demons by the power of demons, then that's a house divided. That's a house split, and it won't stand. No, no. Assuredly, Satan is very much aware of who he is, and he's very unified in what he's doing. He's, he's wise, and he's sharp. And he's saying, do you understand the blasphemy that you're saying? Here I am, the, the reality, the Son of God, God incarnate, God in the flesh, and you're telling me that the powers that I have are granted by Satan. What heresy. What blasphemy. But, haven't maybe we all through ignorance said blasphemous things. But here's the good news about it. He will forgive you. He will forgive you. the blood. What he won't give, what he won't forgive, is if you never come to him. If you don't accept the Godhead of Jesus who he is fully, the Son of God, the, your Savior. If you deny that, if you reject that, ladies and gentlemen, there's no hope for us. There's no salvation. There's nothing left. We must come to the realization of who he is, what he did for us, and what he wants us to do. You know, he accomplished this purpose by plundering his house it says how do you plunder a man's house you first go in and you bind him you put him in restraints then you can plunder his house you can't go in and steal my house you can't go in my house and steal what few possessions i've got if i'm in there because i'm going to prevent it aren't i'm going to stop it but if you bind me and gag me and put me in a corner then you can plunder my house he said i'm here i'm going to bind him I'm going to plunder his house. What was his house? That he owned every one of our souls. We were confined. We, we, we had no victory. Promised, but had no victory until Christ came. And with his sin, sinless, complete life and precious blood, he broke, that, he broke us free from that. He promised us salvation and forgiveness of sin. Like I said about these blasphemies of ignorance that we've all been capable of and have done, he'll forgive you. But what he won't forgive is our rejection of the great salvation that's been brought for us. In Isaiah 5.20 it says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and lightness for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Have you ever talked to some of the people that I've talked to. Everything that you say according to this word is just opposite. Light is darkness. Darkness is light. And they're reprobates. They're degenerates because they've not believed in God's word. Well, in these pages, we've seen that Jesus destroyed the power that Satan physically had to possess our bodies. He did it forevermore. Satan cannot take over your body 
without you, without you giving in. He cannot take you over. You being unwilling, he cannot do that. But he did leave Satan the power to tempt you, to entice you. And if you do that, it's sin. James says to know to do good and do not is sin. And then he gives us a terrible equation. The progression of sin and sin full grown leads to eternal death. If you've never confessed the name of the Lord before men, you could do it today, Matthew 10, 32. If you've never repented of your sins, like we all have to do, Luke 13, 3, you can do that today. If you haven't been born again of the water and of the spirit, you can do that today. Jesus said, unless a man is born of the water and spirit, he will in no wise enter the kingdom of God. If you don't understand what I'm telling you today, please get with me. There's others here. Get with me today, and I'll help you better understand. Through God's word, we'll study it together and see. Jesus has knocked every barrier down that would prevent you from coming to heaven. As he read in that synagogue so many years ago, 2,000 years ago, I came to set the captive free. I came to liberate the oppressed. Haven't you been brokenhearted? Haven't you felt oppressed? Haven't you felt persecuted? Haven't you felt confused? Haven't you felt unloved? You don't have to feel another day of it. Not only does Jesus not feel that way, he doesn't want you to be that way. He wants you to come into the light of his love and the light of his word and walk in the newness of life, having obeyed him. Do you need to obey Jesus today? Perhaps you've done these things. But you've let, metaphorically, you've let legion come in your house. You know, one man, an example was, he took an evil spirit and he got it out of his house. But he didn't put anything back in. And they came back sevenfold. If you've been faithful to God and then you become unfaithful and you've left and you've been away for a long time, if you don't put God fully back into your house, what will replace it? This morning, if we can help you, we stand ready and able to pray with you, to help you in obedience to God's word through the gospel. In any way, if we can help you today, we would like to as we stand together and as we sing.